Welcome, everyone. Welcome to Talk with Claude. I'm Claude, your host. I'm here today with Noel Boban. Um, and Noel's going to tell us a little bit about herself. I was intrigued about um, some of the posts I saw from Noel on social media. I felt that it um, offered some experience and some knowledge that could be useful for the audience. And um, I'm just here to open up the discussion and, and share that with you today. And hopefully we take it to directions that you'd like to explore. And uh, I welcome all your comments at the end and we can certainly revisit this. And hopefully this will be a first of, of maybe a, a few interviews if you'd like to come back on the show after uh, you've had uh, further thoughts and things to bring. So thank you. Yeah, um, so there's a f few people's like, you're right in my community of Revelstoke. Uh, I've interviewed people in the States and in different countries and stuff, and I'm instantly attracted to people that show this kind of uh, flavor of um, being an elder to the community. I can tell that you've had some experiences that you've taken the time to reflect on and you have a book out that's uh, The Art of Transformation, which to me is very revealing because you, you're uh, possibly pushed to transformation once you're confronted with uh, issues in your life, which pushes you in that direction, right? Uh, I know for myself, I've, uh, I've often said, you know, I've, as a young man, I felt very strong and I was very lucky to have, a, I, I think, a lot of things go right for me early in life. And you feel very strong, but you're, you're, you're only strong in as much as you haven't quite been, been tested by life sometimes. And uh, sometimes that's very revealing and it forces you to transform. So maybe you can tell me a little bit about yourself and, you know, go as far back for the audience to know you i think we exist in time so if you want to take us back to even just growing up and what your um life set off for you as what you would imagine life would be uh like in the future when you were a child and how that's worked out and you know the things that may be representative of that and things that may not have quite worked out the way you had imagined uh when uh, you were a little girl <laughs> so <laughs> You can, you can take it from there. Oh, um, I'm not sure. That's a good question. I'm not sure I had a vision, like a really clear vision when I was a little girl. I, I don't remember thinking much about what it would look like as an adult. Um, I think a lot of my childhood was more about um, survival, to be honest. And um, I mean, I grew up in um, initially in Montreal. Uh, I have one of three girls, the oldest, and um, you know, initially we had a pretty standard life. Um, you know, my father had a good job, uh, and you know, at that time made really good money. You know, for the time, and um, we had a couple of nice houses. And but when my parents, when I was six, my parents divorced and um so i was the oldest so that changed a lot of things for us and the trajectory to uh especially at that time of life as well the trajectory to what where our life would lead because um back then i mean women were not seen as um whole beings uh, so my mom you know was a single mom three kids uh, you know my dad was a professional engineer and was working and 
Um, so we were with my mom full time, uh, you know, and, and I remember distinctly when she was, uh, or I don't remember this story so well, but I remember her telling me about this, that you know, she needed money, so she didn't have a car and we'd walk down to go get groceries. So she had the three of us, we were young. And um, and the bank was right beside the grocery store. And so she went to go into the bank because that day, we back then there wasn't debit cards and ATMs. So and, just, I'll just stop you there. Um, you were you were talking at a time when you were six. What years are we talking about here? Unless you want to re not reveal too much of your age, but um, just to put things into context, because oh, obviously yeah. things have changed since the seventies, the eighties, the nineties. Yeah, uh, I'm forty nine years old myself, so you know I, I I've seen things change quite a bit, and uh, that so I I know maybe some of the youth that might be listening to this know it kind of as a theory, but to really have it through the eyes of somebody who was who was there. Um, so what, what years are we talking about there when, when your parents divorced? So I, it was about 1980. Um, and, you know, so in some ways, not all that long ago, but quite well, a bit ago. It feels, <laughs> I guess, now. When I look at my life, it doesn't feel that long ago, but I guess it is quite a bit. There's quite a bit of distance there. It's but to add up for sure. Starting to, <laughs> <laughs> um, somewhere around there, somewhere around the 80s. So, um, you know, and. You know, women weren't independent. I mean, we're still, there's no, still not balanced equality, but I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about back in the time then, she like carts us down, you know, to the grocery store or to the bank and they won't give her money because now that they're divorced, all the money goes into my father's name and she's not a person, you know, at that time, like in, in the bank's eye, in the institution's eye. So she stays there in the bank with the three of us, you know, for I don't know how long, but a long time until they released money to her so she could go grocery shopping. Yeah, so it, it might was, it might to conclude that they have a uh, they had a joint account probably. I'm not even sure if it was a joint account. I actually think at this point it had been moved into her name, but um, now I, I can't ask for my parents this anymore. Yeah, and but, I realize yeah. you're fairly young. I, my 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 parents got divorced around the '80s as well, and uh, I know m my mom had her own account, and that wasn't an issue. But joint accounts, if in case of a divorce, gets complicated for sure. But yeah, I think it was, and I think money had actually been moved into an account, but they wanted to hold it for 30 days because she was a single woman. Oh. Something along the lines like that. Anyway. Um, you know, I think that she, my mother, met a lot of challenges, you know, raising three young girls. Um, I imagine, like anyone who gets married, she imagined that she would be with my father. Um, they weren't, you know, she hadn't anticipated divorce and I, there was a lot of hurt and pain, you know, obviously as comes with divorce. And at that time where there wasn't a lot of independence for women, or opportunities for women. So I think there's a lot of challenges for her. And um, and I, I, I recognize, you know, she probably lost herself uh, for sure in trying to raise three kids and trying to, you know, keep us healthy and um, fed, you know, and a roof over our head. And um, eventually she started drinking and she became an alcoholic and, uh, you know, and I think she lost her sense of stability. I, one thing I do know about my mother is she loved us a lot. Um, um, but 
you know, growing up in an alcoholic home just made it um, challenging through adolescence and teenagehood and um, yeah. So, but, you know, there's, uh, I don't, I, I really am grateful for both my parents, you know, because their decisions made me who I am today. So, you know, even with the challenges, my father moved back to Switzerland when I was younger too. Um, so my mother was truly on her own um, for, for a number of years um, before he chose to come back to Canada or could come back to Canada with his work. Um, yeah, so it was an, an interesting time, which just meant for, if I define my childhood, it, was, it wasn't very stable. There was a lot of up and downs, a lot of downs, a lot of challenges for my sisters and I, <clears throat> and we moved a lot. Do you remember the type of responsibility that might have been put on you too as the oldest child in that situation? I know a lot of, you know, oldest child in, in cases of divorce uh, kind of take on a parental role way too early and, and, and put a lot of weight on them, especially if the parent's alcoholic, then it's really hard to relate with an alcoholic because you're talking to the, the alcohol half the time and, and not the person. So. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I was. I was, you know, the responsible one. I remember staying home, you know, maybe I was like 11, or, you know, probably 11 or 12, staying home. My mother had to go to work and my sisters were sick, so needing to, you know, help out and take care of them. Um, yeah, I remember, I mean, I definitely became the caretaker and the responsible one, um, How'd that, which I... Did that affect your school as well? Yeah, I mean, I was, school was challenging for me. There was a number of things, events that happened in my, when I was young that had some traumatic events so that like even when you're it, learning and having the cognitive ability to be present with that was really challenging for me at that time. And then taking on, you know, the role of taking care of my sisters and supporting them in, in a way that I was trying to just be responsible. Definitely lost my playfulness uh, and my youth young. And um, and so that influenced, you know, my personality. You know, I became more serious and, um, and had to take on, uh, you know, bigger roles than I was ready for you know, at the time. But I mean, this is, this is what life is I mean I, I look back now at those challenges and and I, I I mean I feel now grateful for the strength that they built within me. Definitely, it's brought a lot of challenges over the years, but um, I I you know I think it was in my early twenties I realized I had to stop blaming my parents for my reality for my life, and I had to start to see that they had done the best that they could with the skills that they had. And, um, and growing up being, uh, you know, in challenging times with a lot of responsibility um, gave me, an, uh, for whatever reason, I took the perspective of bigger picture than just thinking about myself. Um, so, you know, Yeah, those... no, I, I find, I find, um people that have gone through those kinds of challenges as a kid tend to go one of two ways, ways either, even, um, either 
the challenges becomes too great for them and they just want to blow it away and kind of follow in the line of you know becoming an alcoholic themselves or um becoming irresponsible because they just it's just too much or you learn you know from the example and the counter examples that you've had and and take on the responsibility and the challenges i've i've known both types of uh of ways to deal with that either way i i think you you hit on a point as an adult you have to stop blaming others and take the responsibility but i add a caveat to that in that also you have to i think it's important to realize that what happened when you were a child isn't isn't your responsibility as a child too right and to mm-hmm. distinguish that is really hard because you have to let go of a lot of things and you have to accept that whatever you didn't get as a child you're not going to get now it's that that time has passed so you you have to stop looking for it in every relationship that that you build as well i don't know if that resonates with you but that's certainly been my experience well yeah i think that this is this is where the work comes in is because you know even though i can look back and um know that my parents did the best they could with the skills that they had um i came into adulthood with uh a lot of struggles you know and a lot of pain and a lot of hurt so in order for me not to continuously replicate that pain and take out that hurt on the people around me i had to you know choose to start doing my work um you know my inner work and and i think you know just like you were saying even if i just keep it um to the to the fact of anyone growing up with challenges in in childhood which so many people do um is this is why we have counselors and psychotherapists and um and even you know it, it, you know some of the work i do with my clients coaching we we always go back to adolescence um you know just to establish some of those stories that continually um play out in our adult lives so it's you know those are such influential years on our in our development i mean they form who we are and how we respond to the world for sure and i i think the 70s and 80s too was you know the start of the no fault divorce so there's a whole lot of families that got divorced i remember it's like it, it's it's it was kind of the the turning point of the years where it almost became the standard rather than the exception and i think in a way people were kind of experimenting with this new freedom of well you know if things aren't going right you don't have to fix it you can just break it up and start over and i think after you know 40 50 years of that we're starting to see the result of a lot of injured human beings running around and you know creating the society that that we have for for the good and the bad uh, but it certainly changed the uh, the outlook of society and i think in a lot of ways uh it's led to a lot of difficulties for for many having to overcome those those childhood traumas uh it makes it hard to build a life until you can address the the, the wounds that you've had uh and it's hard to build healthy relationships when you have so many wounded people running around <laughs> well and the, the the dialogue is is like the family of origin trauma. I mean, really what happens is we take our trauma from childhood and we 
transpose it onto our kids and our family, our partners as we grow up. Now, this is like generationally. So we have this generational trauma that continues to um, build through the through this generations, you know, over our history, you know, as human beings, you know, our, our lineages, that all of those things that came forward from however many hundreds of years ago, you know, and, and we're still dealing with them. And, and the, the, the conscious work is that place where we decide, okay, some, it has to stop with me. You now I have to choose to do my work if I'm going to heal myself and not not be the carrier of this pain for future generations. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the way I experienced it. And it was it's a huge responsibility because you're not only taking on your responsibility to to heal, but you're almost healing all previous generations and, and what, you know, whatever situation that led to all this trauma, I think, you know, when you look at previous generations, two world wars, um, you know, economic depression and all that. And, you know, as a side note, that that's one of the things that has me very worried about this COVID-19 shutdown is that I, th I think we were getting at a point where people are realizing their the, the effects of their childhood trauma and, and starting to address it. And here we are plunging people in, you know, destroying their small business, lack of work, uncertainty, uh, you know, basically not being allowed to socialize uh, in any really close personal way. And, um, you know, that's the kind of thing that if it goes on too long can, you know, put those scars right back in there. And, and you know, with, with liquor stores being open 7 to 11 now and people with nothing to do, I mean, that's, that's a real recipe for disaster. If people don't self-discipline, it, it, it's going to be pretty hard on, on a lot of folks, I think. Well, I, I think this, you know, the, um, the cracks in our foundation right now, um, because we all have them. None of us are perfect. We all have pain. We all have been hurt. Um, you know, the cracks in our foundation are just getting bigger because of the current situation at hand. And, you know, I've been saying for a number of years that we're, you know, in the midst of, um, you know, spiritual revolution, basically like a conscious revolution where people are, whether it's environmentally, but, you know, globally, politically, there's like a lot of changing dialogue, even to 20, 30 years ago to what, what we talked about, what we focused on, the, the dialogue that we shared within our communities has changed. Yeah, so much, but you know now those cracks in our foundation um, are designed to show us where we need to do our work, and it's really challenging, especially if um, if a if you haven't been pushed into a situation yet where you've had to face yourself, um, which happens to us all. We all get to the place where we have this reckoning, where we're seeing this part of in ourselves that we're we're not. Um, really happy to see, you know, and we're dealing with our own challenges of being ourselves. No, that's that's for sure. I mean, it's a, it's a hard thing to have to visit your shadow self, right? But if you if you're not willing to look at that dark side that you have, that potential for evil, that potential for destruction, then you're not looking at yourself because 
you're only looking at part of the human that's that's there so and and that's challenging and i think that's one of the things that makes people really want to fly off into drugs and alcohol and 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 video games or porn or whatever it is to kind of escape that because that's not a fun thing to look at um you know the the economic downturn of 2008-2009 was kind of key for me uh i went through a lot back then that at the time was really hard um but it really helped me to prepare for what's going on now and so it changed my way of thinking it changed my values and so i think right now i'm in a pretty privileged position having my my family whole having knowledge to grow my own food having uh, put in place a lot of relationships that are really helpful right now but if i hadn't gone through those harder times uh, you know um yeah i i, I would have been probably pretty clueless when all this came down and then you know what you wake up to this new world basically that that looks nothing like what you had anticipated and what you prepared for and that's and i i, I really feel for people that were caught in that that had you know one week they're thinking of the next powder line they're gonna ski and 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 you know looking forward to whatever this summer and then all of a sudden it's like oh wait what happened <laughs> and now they might be by themselves they might not have a job anymore uh i i really feel for small business owners that you know their business model doesn't work with this new reality right now um you know i think into your yoga studio uh i really miss actually going to yoga <laughs> uh there, there's i mean i can do yoga at home but it's not the same right that's i really enjoyed you know having that reason to get out of the house and and uh get together with people i don't necessarily meet right around my place and there's there's a whole aspect of life that's still missing despite the fact that for me i mean there the changes were fairly minimal we already homeschooled our kids we already um, my wife already works with zoom and, and online for the most part i'm actually adapting my i i had started a, a, the uh, my business with uh, health coaching uh which works perfectly in this model but i mean there's some things that you need to be up close and personal and uh yeah i'm really missing that um that warmth that we used to have in this community and uh, i can't imagine what it might be like for somebody who's who's now you know there three or four different uh roommates have left back to australia wherever it is they they came from now they're in oh, yeah. an empty house with a huge uh rent to pay and and no job right Yeah, it's challenging times for so many. I mean, the, the, like I I think that um if you're which there's so many of us that have lost our livelihoods. Um you know, it's a it's a challenging time. Um and nobody could have prepared for this. I mean, this wasn't um we can prepare for challenging times, but this is like nothing we've ever experienced before in the generations pretty much that are alive now you know and so um it's you know it's 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 there's a you know from my perspective and just where i sit i can see that a lot of people are suffering right now and um and are being challenged and are looking for ways to disassociate you know through any you know 
drugs or TV or alcohol or whatever it is that we use to disassociate, which is, I mean, at, at times it's, it's, it's okay to do that as long as we're aware that we're doing it. I mean, as long as we're conscious of what we're doing in that moment, but you know, in a time when um, people are being asked to stay at home and not socialize, um, it's that socialization community is like the pillar of our health. You know, yeah. it's like engaging with people is, is part of, you know, and one of the courses I run is it's, it's one of the three pillars of building a solid foundation. You know, so that being taken away and that connection, even as you say, like people's way of connecting at yoga studios or gyms or at work or around town or at the grocery store, it's, it's awkward and it's uncomfortable now and people are at a distance and everything, the way we knew how to connect and that actually filled us up and kept us healthy, including our immune systems, has been, you know, eradicated at this point, you know, so... Yeah, I mean, obviously, in, like a, as a health coach, one of the things I really like to focus on is my training uh, as a health coach has a lot to do with nutrition. But the other aspect I was studying uh, is uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, because it, through my own experience, I realized it's really hard to correct people's metabolic health if you're not addressing their dealing with stress because those endocrine systems come in, those um, stress hormones kick in, and they'll reverse everything you're trying to do with diet. They'll reverse everything you're trying to do with exercise to a certain point. So you, you have to address you know, the, the physical activity, the nutrition, and the, the mental health. The, the, you know, for too long, I think the health system likes to separate systems, like we're, they're all independent, but they're all interlinked. And if you don't address them together, you're not really making any headway you'll replace one problem here with another problem there and you haven't really solved anything uh, the other thing too that i think isn't being talked about a lot is with this sudden restructuring of society people have a sense of themselves you know i think the, uh, in the um last couple of decades we've really put a damper on the idea of this sense of hierarchy you know it's always talked about somewhat negatively but there's you know a hierarchy of power that's one thing but there's also a hierarchy of competence and sense of self and uh kind of uh, place in society where people who have worked hard to establish something that's really appreciated by their community um have a very deserved sense of what they've accomplished and what they bring to the world and you know like even to, to, to become like an elite skier or to become to, to, to build a business where multiple members of community go and, and appreciate that gives you a self a sense of purpose and a sense of who you are by what you do also you, you cancel all that I mean it's not it's one thing to have a couple of weeks vacation but when you start to look forward and not see when that starts up again or not see how that fits into the new mentality where people are going to be afraid even after they're permitted to get close to each other or they're going to be afraid to, to get close or they're going to give up certain things and and i think that it has a huge psychological impact especially for people who have been working at 
this one thing that they want to get good at or, or excel at, you know, for 10, 15 years and also to see it completely vanish under the feet. I mean, that's, that's a hard blow. Um, so I, I don't know if you can talk to that, but that's, uh, you know, in, in, in as far as the art of transformation, that's definitely yeah. where you, you, you need to redefine yourself, I think. Well, I mean, yeah, we, I mean, we all see that everything is being redefined right now. Um, just a few things, you know, fundamentally, no matter what happens, what I do know is our connections to our community and our contact, our physical contact is really important. And we'll, we will have to get back there. Um, at, despite everything else that will change, which is unknown or unseen at this time, but um, being scared of each other um, is, is not where we're going to build uh, healthy um, communities, healthy life within ourselves. Um, we need to watch that fear and um, and really manage it. You know, be self-aware enough to see our own fear. And so this is, you know, just touching into that. And, you know, the other aspect of like how so much of what so many people have worked for has disintegrated, you know, for some completely, um, for others for the time being, for others indefinitely, because we don't know what the future is going to look like. I think um, the key word which I've used with a number of friends um, and neighbors when we're chatting is purpose and is having that sense of purpose because when we wake up, we have purpose, we're, we have function, we have something to do, it keeps us, like keeps the, the, the positive energy flowing through us. It keeps we're the excited. alcohol at bay. <laughs> yeah, it keeps, exactly. We, 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 we're not like using things to fill ourselves up because we're we're using our purpose to fill ourselves up right and so maybe you didn't have purpose before this but i think this regardless will be like a magnifying glass on on what it is that feels purposeful in your lives and, and i hear this through dialogue with friends is a lot of people are just talking about how they can see how certain things in their lives weren't serving them and now they're ready to let those go and they can see also what was serving them and they want to move towards that. Now we don't know how we're going to do that, you know, in this this new world that's going to be unpacked here. But without a sense of purpose, even right now, like waking up and having something to do, something to look forward to, some some kind of, um, you know, drive to, to create, you know, something new in your life. It can feel really dismal. I mean, if you've just lost everything, you know, I do have friends who are single and at home and had a great career and lost it all. And now there's, you know, they're at home and, and they're thinking, what do I have? Like, I, I don't even have kids to keep me busy, you know, and it's not that they want kids, but they're, you know, they're everything in what gave them purpose totally shifted. And even if you do have kids in your homeschooling, um, you know, which is my case and, you know, I'm, I don't want to be a homeschooling parent, you know? Homeschooling wasn't something I was looking for uh, in my life. I love my daughter. And um, so those of us who are at home, like facing this new reality of like, well, how does this look, you know? And, and trying to figure out a schedule and routine and purpose, you know, through the day with, you know, it can look different in each household. I think the most important thing is to unpack uh, what it is that you, you realize that is no longer serving you in your life. And this is the key 
is what is no longer serving you. You know, you're, you're looking at your life from a new vantage point now and you get to have some space. Maybe if you're in not one of the people that are in, um, um, in working in hospitals or working in service, you know, to society right now to keep it going in, in any context that it needs to be running right now. If, if you're busy doing that, you might not have the time to think about what it is you want. You're in this in this go, go, go mode because your job requires you to be of service, you know? Um, but you may also be reevaluating if you're in that role, what it is you want in your life. Is this what you want, you know, during a time like this? Maybe it is and you feel you're being um, called into action in the way you want to. Perhaps you are finding yourself confused about what you were doing and where you want to go and it's not unusual in this time and I, I really want to say that even though I'm talking about purpose and figuring out what that is it's okay to wake up and be sad it's okay to wake up and feel like you don't know where you want to go with your life it's okay to um, to be struggling right now I think the worst thing and the biggest disservice we can do to ourselves and to others is to expect happiness and positivity in times that are really challenging. And so if that's what you need to go through right now, please give yourself the space to go through that. Um, the desire to be happy or to have a vision can um, just swallow you up, especially if you're feeling pretty negative. Um, and if you need help, you know, seek out help. Reach out to friends, reach out to mental health providers that can help if you're challenged there. But you know, in a time of finding purpose, it's a purpose comes from a deeper place within. You touched on something about like using work, you know, having purpose when you go to work and, and feeling like that helps define who you are. And you know, in my own work, um, you know, maybe a few years ago, three, four years ago, I had to accept that I love my work. Um, I feel really privileged to be doing what I'm doing, and it doesn't define who I am. And so in that awareness, I had to understand what defines who I am. Uh, and it's, you know, my relationship with myself that defines who I am and gives me purpose versus some outer um, accomplishment or um, you know something that I do in the world. You know, I, I do like to be of service, but if I'm trying to be of service to receive accolades, um, it's it's that is trying to fill up from the outside in versus the inside out. And so being of purpose really comes back to who are you and um, what fills you up from the inside. So, you know, what relationships are serving you? Um, what, what are you doing to stay healthy? Mind, body, spirit, right? The whole, whole union of the body. Um, yeah, and I'd say, and I'm gonna tread on, uh, maybe on dangerous waters here, but there's also um, a difference I see in the feminine and in the masculine as far as the relationship with self in that I think um, the feminine 
I think for for women, there's a sense. I think there's a social sense of inherent uh, value that's much more present in men. I think there's a, a sense of value through duty that that is way more present. And I think the masculine has to learn to value himself for himself a bit more because in these times when you're basically you know out of work locked up and and out of purpose if you don't have at least a minimum of self-value and, and self-respect it's so easy to take it downhill and just you know zonk out on whatever the the the, the drug of choice is and you know uh for for women i think have been learning this in the last decades where you know well you you can break up your relationships and become self uh, actualizing and 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 build stuff but that means you have to take responsibility for all of that and i think they i think the women have done a lot of work in that sense but the men have not so much let go of of their sense of self through their work or through however they identify and it, i as a man i think it's a lot harder too um and i i had to go through it because i was uh in the hospital actually in, in the fall uh, with uh, an autoimmune disease that that got me in the Kelowna hospital for over three weeks and all wow. of a sudden i'm like you know immediately my instinct is to, to shift to well i'm i'm just like a, a dead weight for my family now i'm not producing anything and you know they have to provide for me and it's it's psychologically really really devastating so and i see a lot of men right now in that situation and uh and, and so i think that there's a there's a feminine way to look at it and there's a masculine way and i think they can really learn from each other oh yeah the, I, i think that You know, culturally, the, I love talking about the masculine feminine because, uh, well, culturally, you know, we're come, we're in an era of where we're recognizing that we've been kind of ruled by the shadow masculine, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so um, the masculine is not bad. The masculine is really important, just as the feminine is really important. The fem feminine has been suppressed, you know, that those qualities that the feminine bring, compassion, lightness, playfulness, um nurturing would it be fair to say though that in in attempting to um how do you say kind of highlight the the feminine we've also that that comes with also maybe the um the manifestation of also the the stronger shadow feminine as well that, oh, yeah. that we see rear its its head right Yeah, and it's life out of balance, you know, when we, I mean, we got the scales, you know, when we know something's out of balance, it never like comes back, you know, there isn't, it always is like the scale. It goes through the center point at high speed, doesn't it? Yes, it kind of, and it, and it, um, but I, I don't feel like, you know, there's, I, I still think we're strongly in the, like a shadow masculine culture, but at the same time is we're hearing, you know, we hear a lot of dialogue from women about masculine or you know, about being challenged by men or um, maybe in negative ways. And I think really what we need to do is come together in unity and figure out how we can support each other. And that the masculine is really important and the feminine is really important. And this is within each of us individually. So we each have fem feminine and masculine traits as sides of ourselves.
And, um, you know, for me in, in my own life, um, things got way more challenging when I went into work, you know, into career and started to strive for accomplishment because I went way more into my masculine. Became really driven, um, cold, not super playful, strong. While those traits are um, celebrated in men, they're criticized when women demonstrate it. Well, one thing evolutionary biology will tell us too and why it's so accentuated in men is because generally women reward men with sex yeah. that have those traits, right? So all the, the men that didn't have those traits were kind of bred out of the gene pool <laughs> yeah. in a way. Yeah, I, I mean, in, in some ways we still do, uh, you know, in conversations with women, we, we, we value, we want our men to be sensitive and open. <laughs> well, we, we say this, we say this, we, but then you, when they're yeah. sensitive and open, we were, you know, we're rejecting it. Well, and I, I believe it's true. And I, I saw something that was really enlightening in that sense is that when you ask a woman, if you, they want men to be more open and emotional and, and, and you know, just closer and, and, and all that, and you're talking about this kind of fictional man, they're imagining, you know, their ultimate alpha male they want him to be more emotional and, and all that, right? But they're not talking about me or Joe Blow on, on the corner, right? Th those guys, if they start to get all emotional on you, you're like, oh, whatever, you know? And, and that's generally, I'm generalizing, but that, that's, that's what we, we've seen, right? So the, the, the average Joe doesn't benefit uh, by being overly emotional. Uh, he benefits from being a uh, you know good provider and maybe showing a lot of bad boy characteristics and all that and uh, you know the the, uh, the great sales of 50 shades of gray is certainly revealing and into yeah. some of the psychology that's that that goes around you know so um, well the, the thing is though we can we can cultivate that you know like just just jumping on the 50 shades of gray for a second here is you can cultivate that in your relationship in your you know in the privacy of your home you can have that dynamic that allows for the strong masculine to be, exist and the submissive feminine if that's um a way we want to look at it but a, a feminine that allows the masculine to be masculine you know so in in life we also need to remember that when we're in our in our worlds in our doing worlds is that we have to let the masculine be the masculine, you know, have their quiet time or, you know, build projects or be doers or providers. And also the masculine has to allow um, for the feminine to exist and to be nurturing and not to undervalue it, not to deem that as not as important as their actions, you know? And so we find ways to support each other in the masculine feminine role and that's where we get more balance because i'm concerned about you know no matter um uh you know your your sexual orientation or how you identify what i'm talking about is if you're a more feminine trait or a more masculine trait is where your opposite whoever you're attracted to is you have to bring balance and it's it's really about balance and i mean just to dive in is we're not you know women have to stop looking at men to fill all the 
boxes as men do to women you know yeah. like yeah. we we can't expect one person to fill all our boxes that's why we need to have community which is coming back to that pillar of community and relationships and friendships that help give us different fill different aspects of our own um self back up not just yeah. by one person yeah and i think it'd be fair to say that with so many of us growing up in either dysfunctional uh, families or uh, single parent families there's definitely one side of that balance missing from childhood right so you have to work really hard to to regain that in in your future relationship if you haven't had it uh, as a child um, for yeah. me uh, luckily I fell into martial arts and I had some really really good role model once my father was mostly gone I mean he we saw him on weekends, but he was a busy man as it was uh, even before the divorce, right? So uh, um, I, I, I think that, Claude, that, that I'm just, role model. I, I, I'm about to get interrupted here sure. by some kids. <laughs> just let, let him in. <laughs> just give me a second. That sure. are, hold on a second. <laughs> Sorry, I was watching the neighborhood kids try to peer around to see if they could social distance play with my daughter <laughs> nice <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah no so i was saying in my case i was lucky enough to actually have those father figures come into my life through my martial arts instructors um and i think that's really important and i think you probably provide some some of that that modeling for people who need it as well through through your work and you know you say you, your work doesn't define you but for sure you're at least lucky enough to have work that you've built in a model that at least corresponds to some of your values right a lot of people go out there and they do work that for the most part goes against their values but they have to earn a paycheck and if you know if we didn't have those people, I don't think the world could work. I don't think the electricity would turn on when we flip the switch or, or that, you know, things would get delivered. And God knows I've, I've, I've done those kinds of work as well. And, you know, if you don't find what resonates with you through your work, then hopefully you can do it through your hobby or, or, or whatever. But it's important that you stay true to your spirit as well, no matter how you choose to do it. Well, and there's so many people that, um, you know, do enjoy, do enjoy their work, you know, do enjoy um, showing up for jobs that I wouldn't enjoy, you know, because they want, um, they want a secure job, they don't want the responsibility of having a business, they want a steady paycheck. And, you know, they're maybe in the wrong role, maybe some people are finding themselves in the wrong position right now where they're not finding something that fills them up. But, um, but not everything has to be like this huge, uh, sense of purpose when you go to work you know the purpose can be more simplistic as long as you have other things outside of your work that are filling you up and I think this is just going to help recalibrate certain folks and I, I am lucky to be doing what I love and that I get to show up and be around um, people that you know I'm excited to be around every day and it's something that I built and you know i'm for whatever reason kind of my inner compass ever since i was young didn't subscribe to traditional work environments and led me on a really unique path and so 
it, you know, it, it just kept being redefined um, through age, but, you know, and it continues to be, you know, redefined. But I think that, you know, um, I just want to address that, you know, we, for those of us who are, who have lifestyles that have, you know, seem really curated and, um, you know, kind of envious to watch, like how that was built. It wasn't built overnight, you know, it, it took years and lots of taking risks, whether it's financial or career risks or, you know, family risks, um, societal, socially, you know, to, to get to where people are to create the business and, and the work that they do, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I have a tremendous amount of appreciation for people who build businesses because that was somewhat frowned upon in my family. Uh, and I think I would, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to do it now, but I'm 49. And I think if I had had a different influence as a, as a child, um, I had some real personality to do that kind of thing. But, um, but yeah, better late than never, I guess. And I think there's a, there's a real underappreciation, perhaps it's because of public schooling uh, or for whatever reason, but there's this idea that, yeah, you go to, you know, stage one of school, stage two, stage three, and then you get a good job and get a pension. And that's kind of the mold that we put most people through. And then it's the exception that somehow break out of that and, and build something new. But if it wasn't for all those entrepreneurs, you know, having these crazy ideas and, and taking all the risks, I don't think we'd have, you know, all the diversity and, and uh, stuff that we have in the world uh, today. So I'm, I'm good on you. Um, what you just said actually leads into my next question really well. So if you could tell us what some of the foundational moments in your life journey that have led to who you are today. Um, I find for my own life, you know, things sometimes, you know, whether they go well or not, they tend to stagnate for a while. And then this event happens, maybe that you didn't predict or, or, or you did something and it didn't work out the way you thought. And then it changes your life forever. It kind of molds you. It, it challenges you to either sink or, or swim. And if you could tell us a little bit about that at a very personal level, that'd be great. Well, I mean, like all lives um, are built on stories and experience. And, you know, I think um, one of the things that I hear from my readers or people that I've worked with one-on-one -on -one or in, in groups is, um, is just when we share our story, how it creates this connection that you realize you're not alone, you know? And we've all traveled these really diverse roles, roads. You now I just I just ran into someone on the street the other day who was like confessing her story. And then she was like, I can't believe I just told you all this. You must think horribly of me. And I, I said, no, not at all. It, it doesn't bother me in the least. It's an interesting and it makes your story, you know, your story is beautiful. It's just, it's pain. It's full of pain, you know, and challenge and beauty and excitement and joy, you know, and so like all of our stories. And I think, you know, as I was talking about for me is I just really came from a place of where I didn't have that emotional um, support or guidance in my life. And I felt very alone and confused a lot of the time. And, um, and having mentorship 
that was much needed. I, I did have a couple of teachers in high school. I was in the outdoors club. Uh, there's an outdoors club in my high school back then. There was funding for it. They used to run. What high school was it? It was in Mississauga. It was called Arendelle Secondary School. And um, anyway, Hands I had Arendelle. <laughs> it was it was such a phenomenal time. I mean, now that I look back, but at these two teachers that were running this outdoors club, and we'd go to Algonquin Park, you know, to go camping, you know, for a week, or backpacking, or canoeing. Um, and then they created this program that, you know, school board supported, which was an outdoor education program, you know, which was a semester long program. And um, you stayed with the same group of people and you had to apply for it. And, you know, you did environmental sciences and geography and English and outdoor education and all these components to it. And um, these teachers were these two men, um, Mr. Uh, like Paul Von Bulow and Frank Sambles, who I still am in contact with. They're the only teachers, frankly, that I remember their names. And they were just such lovely men, right? They were, you know, kind and generous and gentle and supportive and, and, and education-based. And they're the first people that saw potential in me and supported me. Um, and so it was a really important part of my journey. You know, experiencing that and, and going through that in high school and having that outlet. Um, and then, you know, from there, um, I went into outdoor education. And so I started guiding, actually. I started instructing, leading expeditions. So I would um, do river and mountain trips, expeditions, like month long. And I was working for this company called uh, Knowles, which is the National Outdoor Leadership School. Yeah, I've had a few friends work there. Oh yeah, they're they're a phenomenal um, school and education base, and they do wild trips. I got to travel all over North America, um, leading expeditions, also based on like teaching lots of interpersonal skills and 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 then hard skills. You know, the technical skills of you know being in the backcountry and whatever modality that you're, you know, the expedition was founded around was teaching you the skills so that you could literally go out and do these things and recreate on your own after. Yeah, and I have to say that's one of the things that I've seen um, really change in the in the, the world of outdoor education or the, the outdoor scene is that there's really been a shift from learning real life skills in this outdoor environment that takes away a lot of the social constructs that we live with in the city in 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 the front country yeah and they plunge you in the back country with a group with whom you don't interact through monetary transaction but there's this kind of natural social credit that goes around the group and a, a natural hierarchy that that forms and people learn to know each other for for our weaknesses and for our strengths and work around that because that's the group you're you're with right and what i've seen from i, I worked for years in the outdoors i worked for over 20 years as a raft guide uh, river guide 
myself, I, I had a small uh, climbing uh, teaching company for, for a while and I, I taught at the university in, in the army. And what I've really seen is the shift to this kind of, you know, ski porn, uh, climbing, you know, it, it, it's all this kind of flash, uh, all based on immediate performance, but not the whole relationship that builds within that. And I, I found that a very sorry, very sad state of affairs, actually. And that's one of the things that, you know, for, for as much as I enjoyed running all those rivers, but it just became kind of this fast food business because that's where the money is. But um, it, it really, really left me lacking in, in what the, all the potential that was lost in, in that transformation, uh, for sure. I don't know if you, you've had the same experience, but Knowles actually was a great example, I think, of, of having the experience be extremely holistic. Yeah, I mean, I just think there was so much value then. I mean, you know, leading trips and being, just like you said, tossed into a community, but you're automatically with people you don't know, you don't have relationships with, and the means of developing your society is based around developing skills and communication, essentially, in, in a, you know, in education. But, um, and I think that was really informative and I miss, I think that's a huge value. I mean, I think about now, you know, the things I used to do that, you know, we never took pictures of and we didn't have, um, Nobody had a camera have, on their phone back We didn't then. have a camera on our phone, you know? And <laughs> I mean, um, I mean, it was starting to come out, but it wasn't the same. And, you know, so there's so much that, you know, I did that wasn't published or, you know, like constantly like, check out how cool I am, you know? And, and you know what, Noelle, I, I think a picture wouldn't do it justice because you can take a really beautiful picture of an outdoor scenery and a, a, a group of friends, but that kind of invisible relationship work that you do conflict that you come with and how you have to resolve it so you resolve it and, and you deal around you know all that doesn't show up in a picture and I think that's that may be very well why those things were lost because once we focused on how things looked instead of you know it's, it's like looking at the cover of a book and never reading it basically yeah. I mean I think we just have to be aware as a culture you know now as we're like forced to stop is what are we putting our priorities on? Are we pr putting our priorities on how we look from the outside, what we're building from the inside? Are and we ever, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and this is the transformation, right? It's This is what we're being asked to do. We're being asked to go deeper. That's it. We're being asked to go deeper. And, you know, for, you know, I've been doing this for a long time. So, I mean, I feel like I've been preparing for this my whole life, you know, to go deeper and to, to, dive into the, the uh, still the stuff within myself that needs healing and to awareness just needs a light shined on it and so when we value something because of um, some sort of popularity uh you know how many likes or how many views or how cool it looks we completely disconnect from the in the interpersonal relationship first we have with ourselves and that we have the capacity to build with others that isn't based on outer accomplishments, you know? Yeah, and I, I think too, as a, an individual, as you grow up, something that happens in the natural world is, you know, you, you, you go 
you expose yourself to a few obstacles and you deal with them and so you you kind of grow in sense of self within a small group and you kind of position yourself and something that's natural is once you've positioned yourself at a certain stage in in the ranks if you want you can now explore into a bigger group right but with social media what i find happens is that you're thrown right into the the entire world right and then you you people feel the need to rank themselves with compare themselves to 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 the top of 7 billion or 8 billion people right off the bat and that can be that's a steep curve that's a, you know that that's a a huge step and so there there's a real um I, I think that gets people overly focused on how they seem and, and you know all this fakeness and they don't give themselves the time to really find out who they are and and how they're doing inside and they disconnect from themselves to 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 appear more because it's such a such a, a huge uh, you know it's like the it's like being an amateur boxer and getting thrown into a, you know a, a UFC title fight it's it's just not it's not it presents you with a picture that's not fair and then the way you overreact to that is i guess what we what we see on uh on how people deal with social media but if you're if you're given the chance to to interact with um with a small group and make your way in 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 steps that are adequate for you i think you you gain a lot more from that instead of doing this all or nothing thing you know yeah, i mean it's just tempting it's, i mean that's what's being pro- provided constantly in our focal point it's like whatever is taught to us as children whatever our families are doing is what we learn so it's it's really tempting to subscribe to the the ideals that social media is providing and it takes discipline and self-awareness to choose to go in a different direction to choose to do it because it feels good versus something you feel like you should do to look good you know yeah now what what were the the things that really helped you well first realize all that was it a pro- progressive thing or was it like a a given event and how how did you go from working on yourself to feeling now that you know you have a a coaching business um you offer yoga mindfulness courses retreats and all that so how do you go from having a problem realizing that you've got a lot to work on going through the process of fixing yourself in a way and I know it's an ongoing process that process is never done you know uh but at some point you you've gained the confidence to go from that to well I can not only help myself now that I've made these realizations and I can see how it's worked for me now I can bring that to the world and and help others was there somebody that that was doing what you're doing now that did it for you or or how did it come about No, you know, I um I have to say that a lot of the way, a lot of my journey has been self-directed. I haven't seen witnessed a lot of people doing what I have been doing. Um now online there are other women that I follow that do the work like I do because I find that gives me more strength, you know, to see people doing similar things to what I'm doing. Um I've always kind of um you know my family used to say I was like a black sheep but I wasn't I just 
They used to say the same thing about me. Would you surprised? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just like the doing, choosing to do your own thing, you know, and choosing to not subscribe to social norms is, is I think, what, what set me apart. And you know, in my life, um, so I had a bunch of challenges as I talked about, but then you know, a few things happened that like dramatically changed my life, where things fell to pieces, and that was. I was, you know, leading expeditions and traveling all over the world and places I'd always dreamed of. And I sustained a back injury that was debilitating. And I could no longer do the work that I had built myself up to, to get, to go anywhere in the world, you know, to get any contract can, can, that I wanted. Can you tell us a little bit about the injury, a, a bit more in detail? Well, it, you know, I'll, I'll keep it simple, but, you know, I sustained a lower back injury. It was like, it was, um, it wasn't a, like through a direct impact. Um, it was, I, I think, something that happened as a teenager when I was like lifting at work. I had this job that was quite physical, and um, but really, you know, back, lower back, on a psychological um, realm, comes from like not being supported, and so mm -hmm. just not having that support growing up, it transferred to my back. Um, I, I didn't see it like that at the time, but over years. And over the style of work I was doing, it, it just became um, in, in you know chronic pain, unmanageable, unable to walk. And it happened, you know, after a really intensive summer. I worked a three-month expedition in the Yukon in Alaska. It was really intense. I had some really heavy loads that I was carrying, and it just, I think it, it just destroyed my back. And so I I had to shift the paradigm to what I was doing. So as I was doing that um, and making changes, um, you know, in my, you know, my livelihood and my life, and the things that I had found so much purpose because, you know, doing those things made me feel strong and confident, and I associated my self worth with being able to do those things, and um, and so when that came falling apart shortly after that, my father was diagnosed with cancer, and we went through you know, a year of treatment and he passed away and I was with him while he, when he passed. And so that was a big event in my life for a number of reasons. And, it, and there was some trauma in it and there was a lot of challenges, you know, for, you know, family reasons that were behind the scenes. And, and so that really rocked my world and, and, and didn't, and kind of shook my foundation enough to, you know, even dive deeper into my own work. And, um, and you know, then I was in a in a, in a long-term relationship that wasn't serving me, and you know, I had to find my way out, and it was really challenging um, because I didn't think I was that I was deserving anything better. Yeah. Can I can I challenge you to go into some detail about that at all? It just like when you talk about your relationship with your father or family relationship around the time when you lost your father um people can understand the concept but mm -hmm. it's still very um superficial or it's it's very conceptual but it's not yeah very personal where people can really relate um or or even you know if you talk about a you're in a long-term relationship that didn't serve you that can mean a whole bunch of things to a whole lot of people would it be mm -hmm. too much to ask you to maybe give us a little bit about that to, to put that into context and 
because obviously the details is what yeah i mean is what forms where you're going with that my you know my my father was um him and i were really close we weren't when we were when i was younger but as an adult um we'd become really close and i did a lot of things with my dad he was active and we spent time in the mountains we'd go hiking we'd ski he taught me how to ski when i was three years old and um he's swiss how how old were you when you reconnected with him well we had always been connected we just built up our relationship my adulthood Hmm. um because i could see a little bit more clearly i mean my mother was really hurt by him and upset so she would say things that um, made him look bad. Whether or not they were true, it, it affected our relationship. I was, you know, I, I didn't trust him or I was upset with him or it didn't feel safe, you know? So when I was an adult and we started having conversations with him, start healing that part, you know, we were quite close. And um, yeah, as, so- as a child, I remember that being a very difficult aspect of dealing with uh, two parents that, well, eventually divorced, but also even when they were together, they'd be in such conflict. And as a child, you're trying to survive within that conflict. And so you're trying to please the parents, but mm-hmm. it, it forces you to hold two opposing ideas at once in your head. And uh, I think I think parents don't always realize the damage that that can do because from the child's point of view, it's survival is your life depends on you pleasing your mom and your dad and they don't agree and so it forces you to either be a liar or you know it it, it puts a whole bunch of shame on, no matter you can't win basically right no yeah. no matter what you do and it, it puts a lot of shame on on the child i think we are trying to form allegiance <laughs> well and you you don't have a choice you know and uh, like for us we were mostly with her mom and yeah she went on about you know how our dad did this and was like bad and you know i i knowing my mom later on in life realized that she was a in her case she she was you know just tremendous liar she even told me to my face that sometimes it's just better not to tell the truth and and to let things float because that's how she survived her childhood and i i know enough about her childhood to know that it must have been quite a i'm doing pretty good compared to what she was through but uh but it certainly wasn't a lot of healing on her part which brought this into my generation now and i had to deal with it like yeah exactly which is the spiritual revelation that we're revolution that we're in right now or yeah. revelation um you know i think yeah so i think that you know parents do things because they don't know any better you know we do things as humans because we're doing our best you know and so you know with the, those those type of relationship that relationship that my mom and dad had was challenging and so when i was old enough to form a better relationship with each of them individually than i did and uh, my dad was an important part of, um, you know, my life, you know, because he was my dad too. Um, I mean, challenged because, you know, I, I did different kinds of work <laughs> than he would like to see me doing, but, and couldn't quite comprehend or wrap his head around. But um, uh, when he was sick, he, you know, he, like a- anyone that's sick with cancer, you know, he, did everything to, um, you know, go through treatment and 
even when it started getting, it started looking really dire, I flew um, with him to Switzerland because he needed to take care of some personal business in Switzerland. And, um, and he also um, wanted to say goodbye to people or and get a second opinion. Um, you know, the Swiss medical system is different than the Canadian. And they do have a holistic approach, different than we do in Canada. It's just a different system. And so, um, but when we went there and he saw the doctors there, he realized that you know, the doctor said that there was nothing else that they could do. And so, um, you know, he spent the remaining of the trip, you know, just saying goodbye to people and we were traveling around. And, I guess we were probably there for two weeks or something. I'm not quite sure. And you know, he was, I was, he was sick and he needed injections every day. So I was giving him injections. I can't even remember what it what it was at this time. Um, and we came back and he just went downhill really fast. And um, he was at home. And um, my sisters and I would come and stay and support him. Um, I, it, one of my sisters had moved to Calgary at that time because they were in Calgary and I was living in Revelstoke, you know, and so I was traveling back and forth and I have um, a much younger brother that was still living at home with them and my stepmother at the time, but you know, it was really challenging. It was a really challenging time and his relationship with his uh, wife, my stepmother was challenged. Um, she was did, a challenging woman herself. Did, did you find a a definite trans, uh, transformation in him or in your relationship with him from the point where he knew, you know, like death is imminent now? I, I think I, I'm thinking to myself, you know, if I was to learn that I got nothing left to lose because I know my, my hours are counted. Um, I don't know if that would change me a lot because I, I tend to live that way regardless. And I think that was part of my own spiritual awakening, if you want. But I, I think for some people, it, it could change them quite a bit. Was that change gradual or? I think for him, I mean, I think this is for me, what I took from it is there was a lot of things that were left unsaid. And I, it's just part of his culture and his heritage is my upbringing. And, if anything, that those things that were left unsaid or, or you know, we didn't deal with, um, you know, even talking about how much we loved each other or um, our relationship or even, you know, talking about the future, those things that were left unsaid is what I took from his passing, you know, is, is recognizing that this isn't the way that I want to live my life. I don't, I don't want to not say the things that are important to me. And, um, and I don't want to hide behind um, a veil of like um, somebody else's expectation of me or who I think I need to be for somebody else. Um, it's it's not, not that there's anything direct within our relationship that I, you know, that I, that was more concrete that I could say, well, he wouldn't let me be me. But I think when he passed, I just realized how fragile life was. I mean, this happens with death and how that I wanted to create um, different, I, I just wanted to create my life instead of be a victim to my life, which is, you know, in, in a lot of ways, the ways I was living. And 
you know, we dive into the relationship. I'd already been in my relationship um, with my ex by this point for a, a little while. I can't remember how many, two, two or three years at this point. And, you know, because I had such little self-worth and self-value, I was choosing relationships, you know, relationships that were feeding those parts of myself, you know, that weren't feeding the strong, independent, side of me you know I and, and I chose relationships that um, kept me small and so when you're in a relationship like that when you go into a relationship like that it's hard to change you know if two people aren't being conscious and want to change in the same ways and it becomes a really unhealthy environment to live in because um, I called in this relationship I was you know half of it so um, but as I was changing, I didn't, you know, I was like really unhappy and nothing was working. Um, therapy wasn't working and, and I wasn't courageous enough to walk away because I subscribed to this idea that I would be nothing without this person. And well, so I, I, I'm going to kind of present the concept to you and you can let me know if it resonates. So one thing I've, I've learned about relationships and I'm at a point now where, you know, I've got a couple of teen boys at home and I'm kind of thinking, well, how do I line them up for success in the relationship? And it's a tough thing because obviously you control half of it. You don't, you never control the entire relationship, right? It's a, it's a two way street. At least for most people, it's two way. It might be more, <laughs> might be more for other arrangements, but um, basically, one thing I've learned is that if you go into a relationship as, for example, somebody who needs to be rescued, right, then you can never be rescued. Because if that becomes the basis of your relationship and you're rescued, then you have you just took the foundation out of your relationship. So my advice to them, and, and I think generally good advice, is you have to learn to be a whole person before you go into a relationship that way you're the foundation and and you can adapt and you can you know choose to to um to link up with somebody and 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 travel that journey together but if you're whole then you're not threatened by by what happens so much um your your foundation's solid and then you can build a house kind of idea you know um so I, I don't know if that resonates or that, that kind of contextualize maybe some of the experiences you've had. And maybe you can enlighten me uh, with a bit more uh, detail as to what wasn't uh, working or, you know, if we can take that and, and create something that can be um, a lesson for, for people. Yeah, I think, I think you know, it's... It's, it's not a perfect art and relationships are complex and they're always changing. Um, where I sit now, you know, in my mid forties, I can say that, you know, it's easier for me now because I'm not looking for anyone to fill any holes. Um, I'm also not looking to have a family. I already have a, either a child. I'm not looking to get married again. So I'm not trying to check any boxes, which takes a lot of the pressure off me um, at this point in my life. And, 
I think ultimately the biggest take home message is I'm not looking for anyone to fill me up or to save me or to rescue me or to, um, that I'm not whole on my own. I am whole on my own and that, that's taken a long time to get there. I think that sometimes we come to those places while in relationship. You know, if we're able to show up and do the work um, when things get challenging in our relationships and get therapy and, or are able to teach our kids, you know, from young age, how to have a voice. What is it? Teach them how to identify what their truth is and then also teach them how to compromise, you know, because it, it can't be um, about yourself solely in a relationship. There's two people in a relationship and you have to find balance and balance is a, a misnomer. We're never in balance. It's always kind of swaying. That's what's happening scales, you know? So it's like one person gets a little bit more for a time being or whatever that looks like, you know? And somebody else, then it switches, you know? The other partner is going through a challenging time and you need to show up for them and, and be their support. And um, But it's about, uh, the balance is, is that it's shifts. It's not always um, leaning to one side. And, um, but you know, I think this is what relationships also teach us is we see the ways that we have these misguided ideas um, through Disney or whatever other forms of um, ideals of relationships that were taught to us growing up um, of how we, we think a relationship should look like. And uh, I think if we just look, even as children or as adults, if we just take away an idea of how things should be and, and be open to doing it in a different way, which is a way that works for you, you know, that is gonna be most successful for you and feel you, like your truth versus like a truth that you feel like you need to live, whether your parents have identified that or society for you uh, or peer pressure is identify what's most important. You can have any kind of relationship that you want know as long as you get to choose what that you know eventually we get older we start to identify this we start to recognize we uh, and we also have to realize that we get to choose within the choices that are available to us mm -hmm. right so um you know on that if i look at the, the the power balance between once again the feminine and the masculine i think you know in in your early 20s i think that the power is very much in the hands of the feminine because young girls are very much sought after for for obvious reasons um and uh men will accept you know young men will accept just about anything and uh, at that age group later on i think the, the the power balance changes somewhat and and uh i think if if uh if a woman is used to just being desired for for her just being then it gets a little tougher later on and I really see women being valued later on for a lot of a lot of wisdom a lot of um, experience that they they bring to the table a lot of life that you know things that they've they've sorted out and they can bring that into the relationship and really make the relationship better for the men uh, that didn't have a, necessarily a whole lot to offer as, as you know, late teens, early 20s, they've also 
have to grow with that and maybe you know the or the hormones are completely raging by the time they're 50 and they can take a more balanced approach more uh you know quiet down the uh the vibes and and, and pick out a partner that they can measure up against their values instead of just being hormone driven in their choices too so i think you know later on in life it can it can make for a very different set of choices as far as relationships are concerned i don't know that if you uh if you can speak to that or if uh, if that makes sense uh, to you or maybe i'm i know how well i'm expressing it but i i think it's a complex i think it's a complex journey and i think you know if we just talk about kids we start from kids if we teach kids how as as women if we teach women how to have a girls how to have a voice how to say no how to ask for what they want how to walk away from what they don't want or what doesn't serve them um, and the same same for men it's like is is to respect each other you know is to um well one thing i've realized in in the media too uh, you know having been alive for nearly 50 years now is that when i was a kid and you you mentioned disney earlier and i find that really interesting because i remember shows when i was a kid you know you'd have a family show and often the dad was presented as you know having the the firm wisdom and and uh, the 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 mom was presented as as often didn't didn't wasn't uh, given um as much uh, emphasis and, and time to speak and, and uh, would, would come in and serve dinner or whatever, you know, traditional thing. And now speaking of the pendulum that flies through the middle ground, you see the shows today and most of the shows will present the fathers as bumbling idiots that, you know, get, get lost between their driveway and, and the next street corner. And uh, the, the women really taking charge and directing all that and, 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 it, it, it's it's kind of like you know the truth is somewhere in between but i think we've just flown right past it too and it, it's not painting a very realistic image for um for young teens that want to match up and have you know proper expectations of what what a family life or, or even a relationship without a family uh life might be like yeah i i, I mean it's it's like you said it's very complex and I think it's only something that we can either emulate in our own homes as to what a healthy relationship looks like I mean it really comes there and, and in order to emulate a healthy relationship we have to actually work on having healthy relationships and um, and getting help in any way we can outside of our home because I think so many people are worried about you know the, the idea of having therapy or um, getting support um, but it's key it's key to having um outside perspective i mean this is what causes a lot of issues in politics i mean we need to have all people sitting at the table to give some perspective right and when it's the same yeah. people having the same conversations it gets quite complex and um well by the time you've realized that you need therapy you probably needed it 20 years ago right yeah <laughs> so. but you know even in your relationship it helps bring you know awareness and um, new dialogue and new languaging and how you communicate and so when we talk about relationships you know uh, it's 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 so multi-layered and it depends where you're sitting like are you a ch you know today are you a child are you learning you know from your parents what are you learning 
are you a tw in your 20s and trying to figure out this dating thing, um, you know, as an, an adult or you know, are you married? Like, are you working through your relationship? You know, are you single, get older, trying to figure out the dating thing? No matter where you're coming from, if you're looking for somebody else to fill, you, fill something up, it's not gonna work, you know? And to, to take care of things in your life, to, you know, constantly do things for you, whether you do, instead of you doing things for you. And this is what it comes down to. I mean, transformation is really about you taking ownership over your own life and accountability for your own life and for your own wants and your own desires instead of imposing those onto somebody else, which is, you know, takes a lot of self-awareness to see the ways in which you do that, which we do that. Yeah, I mean, it reminds me of, um, well, I, I think you'll agree on this based on some of the stuff that, that I've read uh, from your posts, but um, I find people who aren't willing to deal with um, I'd say changing or, or, or um, transforming themselves or addressing things from within, they'll constantly try to control things outside of them to, to compensate for that, right? And so if you go into a relationship and not having dealt with your own issues, then you're probably going to be a very controlling partner. <laughs> you're you're going to want, you know, uh, it's it's her fault, uh, you know, and if she can't, why can't she get that and all that and never looking within. So if you start by looking within and fixing that before going into a relationship, ideally, not always possible. And for sure, the challenges of being in a relationship will often, you know, force you to make the decision, well, okay, I should look inside here. Maybe, maybe I have part of the, the blame. Unfortunately, I think in today's dating scene from what i get you know from the, the the tinder crowd and all that it's the technology has made it so much easier to just say well you know i've got you know two thousand other people that, that i can swipe through why should i bother putting all this uh effort into fixing this relationship why not just go on and try somebody else well it's, it's my a, it's answer a... to that and i don't know if you agree or not is that whatever you don't fix within yourself you're just going to bring into the next relationship right, until you fix it totally yeah. totally and it's complex i mean the, the 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 dating scene just talking to online dating you know specifically is yeah there's always somebody else there's always somebody else it just really depends what you want if you're always going to want to just be with somebody new and not have any long-standing um, relationship then that's available to you and if you decide that you want to have something more long-standing you're gonna have to put the work in and you know and you're gonna have to get vulnerable I mean this is what dating is it's, it's and in relationships our period is is getting vulnerable and and um, even you know pursuing and being open about like wanting something more serious than, um, and you're willing to put in the effort, you know, than, than easily walking away from something because there's a little bit of a challenge. Now there's like two sides of that because we get challenged, which we will in relationships. Anyone that's been in a long-term relationship will tell you, you know, like, you, you know, you're gonna have down years even through, through, if you've been with someone for decades, you know, Anyone who's been in relationships for multiple decades say, you know, you could have years where it's, you know, down, where you had like a downturn in the relationship, but that doesn't mean that the relationship is bad. It just means that you guys are going through some growth. There's maybe young kids in the household. Maybe there's other things with work. 
you know, so it's about that growth. And in the dating scene, you know, we have to, you just have to choose what it is you want. I don't know if this time, this pandemic is going to influence that, you know, well, people are going to realize that they that. want something more serious. But before the pandemic, I think there was there was definitely a certain lure to this idea that by not fixing relationship and just going to the next person, you're going to have this never ending honeymoon part of the relationship until you flush it off and, and go on. I don't know how well that works in the COVID-19 environment. <laughs> I, I think, yeah, uh, I mean, if and this is one of the things that's actually funny to me, because you have an entire generation that didn't seem to care all that much about protecting themselves, you know, through the the, the, the possibility of AIDS and gonorrhea or, or, or whatever it is, but you present them with the statistics with COVID-19 and all of a sudden you can't even get close to people, let alone kiss them or go to bed with them. So it's, um, it, it's yeah, it's a bit of a confusing new environment for sure. And I, I certainly uh, don't envy uh, having, you know, wanting to go on the dating scene right now and I have many friends that are in that situation myself I'm 20 uh, what are we 21 years into our relationship and uh, what you said is is very true I mean I dealt uh, my partner had a, a very deep depression uh, uh, postpartum of our second child and it was a 10-year recovery 10 yeah. year on medication 10 year not fully having the person that I fell in love with um, but we had young children, and, and for me, um, that that was definitely a, a large part of what kept us together. And, and uh, we we found a way through. And, and today, she's healthier than ever. She's a better person than, and I'm more in love than the the you know the first days I, I met her. But uh, but God, that took a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and it's not a sprint either. It's a huge marathon. Like it, it's. Uh, yeah but if you're willing to do it i think there's light at the other side and if you feel the need to go on i think one thing i learned recently is um you know relationships end they 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 either end because you end them they'll end in death but all things come to an end and so um you, you do have to do what serves you not necessarily in the moment but you exist in time and you, I think you have to do what serves you throughout that time, you know, in, in keeping in mind that you exist in time and you, you possibly have a future and you definitely have a past in, in that full context. I think too much, we, on the one part, we, we try to get people to live in the present, but that doesn't mean ignoring that you, are, you have an existence, you know, in the past and in the future as well that you, you need to consider in, uh, in your actions and your responsibilities. Um, so moving on, um, when, when did you start your business and, and how did that go about? I mean, that must've been a good, like quite a, a step to, 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 to make that transition and, and build what you did. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about the, that time and, uh, how it's evolved since then? Well, it was, I mean, so the blue yoga as it's known today opened actually nine years ago this month. Um, but it was, it's been in Revelstoke since 2007. And so it kind of did this evolution where it was um, started by these two women in town, Sherry and Shendra, as like a co-op 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, really, really basic, not, you know, not so much a, a business model, but just, I mean, business model, because they did work out of there and people taught out of there, but it was like, you know, homegrown, like yeah. really old school Revelstoke, you know, just making sure. do in a, in a really, um, you know, old building. And, um, typical and then, like yeah, the typical. Got started like, by two people making bread in their basement or something. Exactly, like that, right? exactly. It's just like super, super simple. This is, you know, how yeah. we do it. And this is how business happens. So, well, I, I think it's the best way for business to happen is to, to grow organically. Yeah, and um, so, so this other woman came in a number of years ago and opened up another studio downtown, which, um, so she took over and, you know, Sherry Cheddar had kind of given up their space for, and this woman had, you know, money and her husband, they built this beautiful studio downtown. Um, it's just, we weren't ready for it yet. And the mm-hmm. cost of doing business is really high, you know, and it's not very lucrative. Yoga studio isn't very lucrative. And so, um, oh, and in 2007, the ski hill was there. Prices were, were going up quite a bit. And then there was the, the downturn in the economy, but then it was really hard getting a loan after that, which is why it downturned like that, right? So it's yeah. been challenging 10 years, I think. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So there was the downturn and so then we opened, we decided that we would open a new space. Um, you know, this other space was still open, but we still wanted the values of what Baloo was about, which was community. And so we created this new space and um, the three of us had started it really, again, homegrown, really basic, um, in the same location it is now. Um, and it manifested that, you know, um, it we didn't stay together as the three of us. Um, Shendra left early on in the business and um, uh, and then um, and then Sherry and I continued um, and then grew it into the bigger space you know we renovated and grew it into the bigger space it is now Um, I guess that would be almost five years ago uh, growing it into the bigger space and doing those renos and um, she and Sherry left the business four years ago or something like that. You know, just they were really the, the other two were working in the background and I was doing all the developing of the business and the building of the business and the front ground, you know, like so was there year round, was building it. And so it just made sense as it kept growing, you know, because it was, you know, in part. Um, a lot of my efforts that were doing that. So, um, so then it grew into what it is today, but it was, you know, that was the foundation. That's where it grew from. And then I just kept, you know, wanting to provide, which was always our vision is to provide a safe, a safe space for people to come do deep work, you know, and to have community based place for people to collect and, um, you know, just like visit with themselves, you know, on their mats move in their own bodies, uh, reacquaint with the inner workings, the inner dialogue happening in the body. And so that's where the studio came from. And, and that's what motivated me to continue doing that work is to continue building um, a community-based um, business that was about self-awareness, self-growth, um, showing up when it felt great and showing up when you felt like you had nowhere else to go. and 
a number of people in this community have come and talked to me about how that space has been a savior over the years, you know, because there was nothing else here. We kind of led the, the market in health and wellness. You know, we built, Baloo built it, you know, it was, it was built on teachers wanting to show up and, and do deeper work and, um, yeah, and I mean, you, you really have to believe in it because uh, I mean, the overhead is, is pretty steep and, you know, you're, you know, for a lot of classes, you're charging what, $10, $15 uh, a session and you, you have to really trust that people are going to come and, and it's going to be a viable business when you take that kind of a risk and that kind of engagement. And for a lot of people that don't have businesses, I mean, you can probably give an idea how many hours of work that you might do in a week, but you know, it, it never stops. It's not, people think it's just, you know, the time on the mat and then, and then you're done, but it's nothing like that, right? No, no. And it was, you know, it was, it was hard. We opened the doors and I was like, I don't know if we're ever going to be able to pay for this, <laughs> you know, like, am I going to be able to pay the lease? You know, am I going to be able to, you know, I made all these financial commitments, renovation costs, you know, twice yeah. and, you know, lots of changes and, and, um, and I didn't make money for years. You know, like it was a it was a passion project, and, and people forget the business owners have their own bills to pay as well. I mean, you still yeah. have a rent to pay for yourself. You have your home to take care of. You know, you have kids, and, and uh, it was full yeah. on. It's been really challenging financially over the years to keep a space going, um, and finally, uh, yeah, got you know have built it up so that there's a big community in town to support it but there's you know it's still challenging for me financially and now we're in a you know a who knows period it, who knows where we're at like i mean i can't even address that right now but you know up until that i mean choosing to have a physical business brick and mortar is what you call physical business you know choosing to have a physical business is a huge risk and um to to pay the overhead for that and your own place you know my overhead monthly is quite large because i've got two spaces you know that i'm i got my home and i've got my business that you know that everything has to be paid for and um just to hold that space and then there's you've got to make you have to have some money on top of that you know yeah. like yeah it's it is really challenging and it goes back a little bit to what i was saying before you know the brick and mortar space you're basically setting yourself i mean it's hard enough you're competing within the community for evelstoke basically there might be other studios opening up and you kind of position yourself in that and you compete to try to offer the best service you can for the best price once that's taken away from you well, you, sure, you can give yoga lessons online or something like that, but now you're competing with the entire planet, trying to do mm. the same thing all at once as well. No. <laughs> uh, so it's really well, and there's already established lot. online classes. Like well, there's already companies that have built that platform. Yeah, and it, it, it's just it's not the same thing either. I, I know for myself, um, my my wife does her yoga online right now. For me, it's not. I can stretch, but it's not what that was about for me. And so I really miss the physical space for sure. Yeah. I mean, physical space is, is really important. And the community that, uh, I mean, was built at the studio has been, 
um, huge. I mean, we, you know, that's where the community came to collect for many years. You know, there was nothing else. Um, yeah. And when you see the same faces coming back over and over again, and then one day somebody's missing, it, it, it really shows. I mean, the energy is not there, right? So mm -hmm. you notice when people haven't been in a while. You yeah. notice when something's going on with someone, or you know they're going through something, and it, it, it's a it's a place to collect where we build friendships and get to know new people, you know, that we didn't even know before in the community and get to meet different people in a, in a really open environment. It's not like going to a bar, you know, where you're um, not there to do your inner work, you know, no. people are there because they're working through their things. And so it's, it's a very vulnerable place, but it also allows people to connect on a deeper level. So I, I really value that. And, and to be truthful, I mean, you can show up to a yoga class and keep your persona and keep your mask on. But at least you're invited to take it off. You're invited to to, to be yourself. In a, in a bar, I think you're not necessarily invited to to show yourself for who you are. And you know, you cover all that stuff in booze. Who knows what comes out? <laughs> um, so I'd like to move on to your book as well. When did you write the book? And I'm looking the title, "The Art of Transformation." Was that the idea from the beginning? Like, did you kind of have a good idea of the title? beforehand or did you start writing and that came about afterwards it was that's it, such a it, i didn't even know that i was going to publish a book i never actually thought that i'd write um, it came organically it comes like a lot of things do for me where it just the idea kind of downloads into my head and, and then i start working with it and um and so it was like over a two-year process of writing and um, I did not have a title for it. I did not know how it was going to look, but then when it came together and um, I wanted it to be easier to digest um, chapters, you know, that we, I wouldn't say that they're easy to digest, but I'd say that it's a shorter, ch each chapter is it's a book onto itself, essentially, you know, because you're yep. just getting snippets of information that you can unpack at your own rate. And when you're ready to read another chapter, then you can jump into another chapter, whether it's in sequence or it's random. So each chapter is one drive of inspiration where you're exploring something. And, you know, I've, I've, I've read some of your writing online as well, and I, I quite enjoy your writing. It's, I think the ideas are, are well presented. And I think that's a really good exercise to get your ideas straight in your head even for yourself right to, yeah. to write them down you can't let yourself when you're talking sometimes you can let yourself get away with saying just about anything but when you actually writing things down it requires that much more mindfulness um so in writing your book what are the important lessons that uh, you try to convey through your book i mean not necessarily going chapter to chapter but um, what what was your drive there, or what your what you're hoping your readers kind of have a takeaway of uh, after going through your book? Um, you know, I I just want them to be curious about themselves and to be curious about how they respond in the world. I mean, this is really what it comes down to. It's like being um, willing enough to look at ourselves and um, you know in, in the looking of ourselves 
we, we get to examine the ways that we interact in the world and what's serving us and what doesn't, and which is what we're talking about during this time of isolation and the pandemic is. Um, so, yeah, to help people, to help give people tools to not, you know, indulge too much in the negative thoughts and help people um, find ways to be kinder to themselves, you know, and um, so are those the, the things in the concepts of your book, are, are those also the things that you find that you need to remind yourself of as well? Because it, it sounds to me like you wrote the book, not necessarily yeah. so much for an audience, but for yourself to start with. So yeah, it's a constant, I mean, I think anyone who, who um, writes, and I've heard this, you know, from writers who write fiction as well, is you're telling it a story that you're a part of in some mm -hmm. capacity, you know, and it's part of your story. And I think, uh, you know, n no writer, no, no spiritual teacher, no, um, no, no counselor, no therapist is figured it all out. We're all still figuring it all out. Definitely a work in progress, but um, I feel like, you know, being able to articulate in writing has given me um, more accountability for myself um, and allows me to um, take space to think about what it is I'm actually thinking about, you know? Right, right. And I mean, this is why journaling or note-taking is so important in our lives because to be able to write it down and to um, put it into a formula that we get to actually think about, you know, and a formula being like seeing our thoughts and what it is that they're telling us, you know, and, and do we actually believe in that? Because, you know, we'll be telling ourselves all kinds of things that we don't actually believe in. And so hopefully my writing helps people navigate that and see that even within themselves, you know, that the only person you can control is yourself. I mean, I can't control that was a huge learning for me. I used to try and control everyone and it wasn't working, you know? Well, and, you, know you, you spoke to your, your childhood wounds too, and that's very typical. Like, until you look at those wounds and you deal with them, you have to, you, you have the uncontrollable urge to, to control what goes on on the outside if you're not going to heal your wounds and you need to move people around so that they don't injure you and you know it's it's we can talk about that uh in terms of physical wounds but the the mental wounds and the spiritual wounds are, are just the same way mm -hmm. um so i i got the um I finally did the step to invite you to the show after seeing that you were actually uh, posting some videos of yourself speaking to the community on social media and, and uh, I, I felt that you, you know, you had this urge or this, uh, this inspiration to, to address what was going on and, and uh, help, felt that you could help people by what you were saying. Uh, what, what past experiences do you draw on? Um, to know what to say or to to convey uh how to um how to help people that are coping with you know the reality of fear isolation right now uncertainty and i guess it's a message I, and i know when i do it it's a message that i'm actually 
very much talking to myself and trying to remind me of, of those things as well and, and I think it'll serve others but what um, so what what past experiences do you draw on and, and what are the messages that you'd like people to know uh, right now well I mean I, I I draw on my failings you know essentially now there's there's I mean I countless you know times that I've fumbled socially or um, said the wrong things or s did things that hurt me you know and then hurt others and so I mean those are like foundational learning imprints that have been like you know set into my core but you know when I think about you know what I want to say in these times I really think about how, what I'm experiencing what I feel in the world you know and even though those past um, experiences have you know created some kind of wisdom that you know I feel called to share but it you know ultimately you know my messaging is about you know being kind you know because if we're not able to be kind to ourselves really be kind like watch the ways in which we criticize ourselves and critique ourselves and judge ourselves you know then we we just do what we're doing on the inside out you know so if we start to like self-examine and evaluate the ways that we do that to the in inner world and become more kind, literally when we become more kind to ourselves, we are able to actually present that behavior outwards. Um, it's so easy to fixate on the outer world, you know, and it's important to nurture your inner world. I mean, this is just what we have to do, at the, especially at this time. So when you want to make like change, which we're all talking about in the outer world, when we want to make change in the outer world, we have to start with our inner dialogue, with our inner world, with what's happening. If we want to, if we want to see change in our communities, in our lives, in our careers, it has to start from the inside out. We have to um, stop trying to make other people wrong, and um, and be critical and judgmental of other people, and not tolerate their failings. You know what I mean? And start to create space for ourselves to see the ways to accept failure in ourselves and to um, learn how to pick yourself up, you know, because this is so key. I mean, we're so angry so much of the time because we don't know how to pick ourselves up and we're, we're upset with being hurt and we're upset with our failures and we're not um, compassionate and kind um, because we're trying to be perfect. Well, yeah, and I, I'm, I'm seeing this manifest in, in a very obvious way with what's going on uh one thing that that seems to keep coming up on my feed uh is those snitch lines where you know people are <laughs> making uh, an obsession instead of looking inwards and seeing what they can do to help themselves you know there's this real i think the system very much feeds on this fear and having people you know looking out the window and checking out what the other guy is doing or the other neighbors are doing and, and and pointing out everything that they're doing wrong with never looking inside and, and seeing how they can help themselves because it's obviously the path of the path of, of least resistance at least in the short term so it, it's it's really good to have a counter narrative to that and i've seen that in a, in a number of your posts uh, inviting people to well and and what, what's happening is we're uncomfortable sorry i was just I think we're getting un uncomfortable, you know, we're really uncomfortable. And 
when we're uncomfortable, we want to take that and push it outwards. I mean, that's that's our response. That's our response mechanism we have. And it takes so much discipline and self-awareness to get uncomfortable and then to get quiet, and to sit with that discomfort and to instead of projecting it outwards to settle it like a baby, you know, to soothe it and to um, self-regulate. And so that we can see where that's coming from and what, what is making us super uncomfortable. And, the only thing we can truly change is ourselves. And when we're projecting and trying to hurt or discipline other people, we're just creating more pain in the world instead of um, more love, which is, you know, infinitely uh, more supportive uh, for growth and um, for ourselves and for others, you know, is putting that love into the world. You know, we, the only way we can do that is starting with the inside, with coming in and instead of like this getting uncomfortable and wanted to push it out and blame other people and blame policies and blame systems and attack people and it's tempting it's super tempting i know it is i i understand it it's 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 really easy to indulge in it's another way of disassociating because we don't have to experience what's happening on the inside because we get to tell people how to deal on the outside yeah and if we feel horrible inside it's really easy to lash out right you just yeah. want to relieve that that feeling any way you can and it, it's uh we we do it with the people we love we do it in our families and obviously we do it in our communities when things go haywire um there's a question that i have now that i i didn't put on the list i kind of regret it now but it'd be easy to imagine how bad things can get maybe and I, I want to leave on a good note so I'm going to ask you to kind of take a moment and with everything that's going on now I think it's gonna it has a real possibility to lead people through maybe this exposure to difficulty and, and time to reflect to transform themselves and you wrote a whole book about the art of transformation so Tell us what the what you can imagine the best case scenario for a positive transformation leading out of this could be. What what would the community or the world would look like to you in a in a best case scenario? And and what what's the utmost that we could aspire to that you can imagine or that you want to bring as an image? Um, if if you were gonna say, well, you know, once you hit kind of that rock bottom and there's only one way to go is back up what does that look like after on the other side of this well i Maybe. think it's it, there's so much potential in um in you know curating a world that we want to live in you know and it's like how instead of um seeing the bad in people is choosing to see the good and to see uh, the ways that they are showing up and also to be more supportive within our communities, you know, because, you know, it, it's within our families and it, and it elevates from there you know, within our communities and it pulses out. We always have this really narrow view that we don't have any impact. You know, we're not making, I'm just one person, I'm not making a difference. And we make such a difference in somebody's life when we show up and we say, you know, in some way, like, I see you. And um, I'm, tell me your story, you know? Tell me what you're struggling with. Tell me how I can support you, you know? Um, to find ways to show up for each other that are based 
in um, being generous with our time, um, you know, within reason, um, but being generous with our time and our resources and um, in a collective coming together, you know, instead of this uh, separation, this idea, idealizing, which we were talking about, like images or ideals well, outside of ourselves. I've really noticed the last, I don't know, at least the last 10 years, probably before that, but especially the last 10 years, a huge polarization in, in people uh, where it seems that there's no more middle ground. You either have to be in camp A or camp B and, and you can't, you know, you got to accept the entire story of camp A if you're in camp A and the entire story of camp B if you're in camp B, but you can't really take for one or the other or, or how dare you even question the storyline of your camp, you know, and it, it's, it's very, it's very, very dividing. So definitely if that's uh that's an image that you have that people can actually come together and actually debate ideas without, you know, trying to knock each other's block off. That would be uh, definitely a step in the right direction. I mean, this is so key. It's like we can have an opinion, but we don't have to tear somebody else down to have our opinion. Somebody doesn't have to be right and somebody doesn't have to be wrong. We can look at each other and ask, what is it that your ideas are bringing? What is it that my ideas are bringing? And what perspectives can we bring together and um, marry them instead of, um, you know, divorce them, you know, and, and create this these islands of separation. You know? So if we can look at ways to do that, I think we um, could unite in this really beautiful way, um, which is key. All right. And uh, yeah, one last question. Where can we follow your work? And I'll put that in the show notes as well for people who wanted to join up and hear more about what you have to say. Yeah, um, well, uh, my website, uh, you can find out about things that I'm doing there, noelbovon.com. Um, on Instagram, um, I try and post you know, videos or uh, my work on there uh, and on my Facebook page. Um, and uh, I think those are the simplest ways to follow me these days. All right. Thank you very much. Hopefully we get a, another chance to chat as uh, things evolve. And uh, I really hope that uh, the, uh, the positive images that you, uh, you set forth in your intention for the transformation will come in and with a dog bark, <laughs> we'll call it an end. Thank you very much. Thank you.